here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favourite episode as this will help me find my audience. It will help to find the people who are ready to hear what we are talking about here. And today, I'd like to continue talking about paradoxes. This is part two of our two-part mini-series or conversation, two-part conversation on paradoxes. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back, listen to part one. This is part two. I'm going to assume that you're up to speed on everything we covered there. We were making our way through a list of examples of paradoxes. And we got up to example number 100, which was hello and goodbye. Hello, hello again, and goodbye, goodbye, goodbye again. And we've covered a lot of the principles and dynamics of paradoxes and different metaphors and different ways they're applied to life and different ways they're applied to how you think about things and different examples and we had some laughs as we went along and now we're here here we are now for part two and we continue our way through so example number 101 of a paradox is Introduction and conclusion. Isn't that funny? Things turn out to be just right where we need them to be in terms of what words we're talking about. So the introduction for today's episode is the introduction paradox and conclusion and in conclusion to the previous one. <laughs> so the, the very thing that we're talking about is the exact thing that's happening now. Isn't that spooky when that happens? Do you find that spooky when you talk about what you're talking about and what you're saying is what's happening right now. I always find it a bit spooky. Now, if you know anything about essay writing or writing in general, you know that when you write an introduction or when you write an inc- uh, a conclusion, they're pretty much the same thing. So you don't introduce new information in your conclusion. It's the same as what you've said in the introduction, but you don't exactly say it in the right way. It's not exactly a copy and a paste. You can still sort of explain what's changed as you described the bulk of your information and your discussion in your essay. But essentially, the introduction and the conclusion is the same. It's the same thing. And what's different is, well, you see, the reason it's the same is because you see what has changed. It's designed to illustrate what has changed since you started listening or reading the essay to when you've finished listening. And that means that you have the same thing coming back and you see that it's different. And you have this sameness and difference shown to you. And that's how you know that you've learned something from the essay or the writing or the story. So, introduction and conclusion. And you have to have an introduction. And you have to have a conclusion. I mean, there's always a beginning to an essay and there's always an ending to an essay. 
It's got to end somewhere. And, well, the craft of weaving words is aware of this. And, well, over the ages we've developed good ways of writing conclusions and introductions. There are good introductions and not so good, not so clear introductions. And if you want to know the difference, well, you learn writing. You study essay writing or the likes thereof. Next paradox. Ascending and descending. What goes up must come down. And now this next paradox is a bit tricky because it's a three-part paradox. And this is the one, the many, and the all. Can we get much more metaphysical than that? The one, the many, and the all. What is the opposite of manyness? Well, it's oneness. And what is the thing that transcends both manyness and oneness? Well, it's the all. And this comes from Ken Wilber's integral theory, which we've spoken about at length on this podcast in various episodes. So the one, the many, and the all is paradoxical because you can't have either of these without the others. (laughs) You're always going to have everything. And yet you're always going to have many things. And you're also only ever going to have one thing. Next paradox, detailed and blurry. This is similar to clarity and understanding. And clarity is, well, it's a paradox that can have a few different opposites to it. Subtle and gross. Or subtle and obtuse. Gluggy and sharp. That's sort of a textural paradox. Can you, can you feel the difference within you? Like this is also a feeling or an experiential descriptive word. I feel gluggy or I feel sharp or you're really sharp today or you look really sharp today or my mind is sharp at the moment or my mind is gluggy at the moment. Change and stagnation. Interv- intervening and standing by the wayside. Or we could say uh, active and passive participation is similar to, or the same, another way of putting intervening and standing by the wayside. Are you active in your life? And I don't mean active as in you do the things, you you do things like activities and action-based things, But are you you active in the participation in your life? Which might also include being active in the things that are not active or doing things. You might be active in things that are, well, how, how should we say? We should say we are active in... We are, we, are, we are participating actively in 
things that are non-doing things. And that's quite a difficult thing to point out. And it's quite easy to confuse the two, which is why this is an important paradox to understand. Active participation and passive participation. Take something as simple as meditation. Well, I don't know if it's simple, but something that is, let's call it a a non-doing activity. It's a in some ways passive, but let's say that you can participate in meditation, as in sitting on your pillow with your legs crossed and your eyes closed, and you do nothing. And you can do that, as in not as in doing, but you can be that, or you can participate. It's it's quite tricky to get the words around this. So so here's the scenario: you're sitting on your cushion, your eyes closed, so you're not doing something but you are doing that and you can you can do that both actively and passively so that's the difference between a participation and doing and being or non-active based experiences of life that's a pretty tricky one i don't know i think there's more to that there's a, there's there's probably, I'm sensing there's a more clear way to illustrate that, but we might have to come back to it and maybe think about it for yourself. What does it mean to be actively and passively participating in something which is not so much obviously an action-based activity or an action-based experience of life? Soft and hard. Prickly and smooth. Mean and nice. This is similar to good and bad or moral and immoral or good and evil. Isn't it funny that good and bad is a double of opposites and yet also good and evil is a double of opposites i wonder why we have two opposites for good i guess it means that there's really two meanings to the word good that we can see here mean and nice good and bad moral and immoral good and evil and now we have the seasons Summer and winter, autumn and spring, the rainy season and the dry season, depending on where you are. Can you see that there's opposites to the seasons that you're in? And if that's the case, how should you behave differently? How do you feel differently during each season? And seasons are quite hard to compare. I mean, comparing experiences is always a bit tricky. It's always a bit of a... Well, there's a lot to it, but the thing about seasons is, well, we have them every year. You always have them. 
They happen over and over again, and how you are in them is something quite broad. It's not like there's a clock that ticks, oh, now it's summer, so now I feel this way. Well, actually, sometimes it's like that. The first day of summer can sometimes have a bit of a air to it, or first day of spring, something like that, first day of winter. But to compare how you are within a season to another, well, that's a real tricky one. That's a pretty big step. That would make a good way of evening out your awareness of how you are across time, which is always going to be a big step. Equator and the far poles. So earlier we said north and south, up and down as two opposites, but actually the equator and the North Pole and the South Pole, or the Far Poles, is a paradox. You can't have the poles without the equator. You can't, can't have the, the center without the circumference. Expanding and contracting. Permanent and impermanent. Well, that one's for the Buddhists. Shout out to all the Buddhists that are listening along. Permanence and impermanence. Weird and normal. Elusive and clear. Well, I don't know about I don't know about clear as an opposite for elusive. Maybe elusive and easy to put your finger on is a better way to say that. Or easy to understand or something like that. There's some phrase in English that would cover that. Clarity, clearness and clarity. Well, you've got clarity and delusion. I always like that phrase by Tom Hanks, clearly confused. He said that in one of his movies. You're clearly confused. It's quite a paradox there, or a, a what do you call it? A oxymoron. Learning and teaching. Have you ever had that funny moment where you've tried to teach something and you think, oh, I need to learn more about this in order to teach it? Or you've ever heard a teacher say, I learnt a lot from my students, or I've learnt a lot from this subject by teaching it. Or that old saying that if you really want to know a subject, you first have to, well, you not first have to, but you eventually have to teach it. So you first start out by being a novice, being a beginner, and then you're intermediate, and then you learn about it, and then you're expert, and then you teach it. And that teaching of it makes you that so much more better at it. It's sort of beyond the expert. So learning and teaching are a paradox that occurs simultaneously. And can you have learning without teaching? Is that just teaching yourself? Can you teach yourself something? Can you learn something by yourself? Well, these are all questions that we have answers to. You know the answers to them. Absorbing and expelling. Eating and taking a shit. <laughs> this is sort of 
similar to absorbing and <laughs> expelling, <laughs> eating and pooping out the bum bum. Spontaneous and deliberatenessness. Being spontaneous and being deliberate. Deliberating and deciding. This is similar to analysis and making a decision. Deliberating or presiding over a decision and then making the decision. Isn't it funny that a decision is really only ever a single moment? It's a spontaneous thing. Spontaneous thing of, okay, I've made my decision. And that's really why, that's really what is hard about hard decisions. That's why a decision is difficult. It's because you feel there's something stopping you from just saying, boom, here it is. Because there's the deliberating. And that's different to deliberateness. So spontaneousness and deliberateness is different to deliberating and deciding. This, this could be one of our 4D paradoxes. They sort of go together. Because you can decide spontaneously and you need deliberateness to be making a decision and yet you can't you you need to be spontaneous with your deliberating and if you can't you know if you're deliberating without having well if you are deliberating with too much sorry if you're deliberating without enough deliberateness then you're just going to go on and on with your deliberating and you won't be able to decide so it's really a four-part thing of being spontaneous and deciding and deliberateness and deliberating. It's a funny collection of words, isn't it? Deliberating deliberatenessness. I'm deliberating, I'm deliberately deliberating my deliberatenessness so that I can spontaneously decide. <laughs> That's how you make a decision. That's how you make a complex decision. Voila. Process and event. Can you see that there's a paradox between process and event? Intellectual and emotional. Okay, so the next few have a sort of theme to them, feminine and masculine, boys and girls, men and women, male and female, gender and sex. Can you see that there's a paradox between the feminine and the masculine? I mean, we could say feminine and masculine is what we're talking about broadly. But you also have boys and girls, men and women. And even even within those, you can say you you are a boy, or you have been a boy, and you are also a man, or you have been a man. And if you think actually psychologically, what does it mean to be a boy? What does it mean to be a man? Then we can ask on that way of approaching the paradox, we can say, are you integrated? Have you resolved the paradox? And there is this thing of, well, some grown men are still boys. They're still trying to 
live out their boyhood. You could say that some men are too much manly and haven't got the inner child, haven't got the playfulness. And conversely, on the other side, you can say that a man doesn't have a feminine side or a man doesn't get, have, in, have in touch with his awareness or he's not in touch of his awareness with his feminine qualities. Because you realize that feminine, masculine, boys, girls, men, women, male, female, gender and sex, you are all of them. You have all of these things. If you haven't figured it out yet, you are both a man and a woman. And of course, biologically, you have one gender. That's only one part of the... That's a very narrow part of the full spectrum of what you are. My next paradox is culture and biology. And... There's sort of been this trend. Not, it's not really a, re- a recent trend. It's sort of past now. There was this trend in sort of social commentators to comment about the feminine and the masculine and gender and gender wars. And that was this big thing in the culture wars is the gender issue. And there's an easy answer to it, which is that, well, we are all of them, all of them. We have all of them within us. And a denial of that is a denial of a paradox which is there. It's a fragmentation. It's a disharmony. And we all need to get back to resolving that paradox within us. And the first step is to realize that you have it within you. And I've spoken about gender in a previous episode where we were talking about impossible questions and we asked why did you choose to be why did you choose the gender that you are and we addressed well what does it mean for someone to have a sex change but that's a bit of a tangent you can go listen to that that's a separate conversation next paradox dominance and submission Victim and oppressor. Predator and prey. Performer and audience member. It's quite a strange phenomenon. If you've ever... If you've ever tried to inquire into what's happening when there's a crowd watching on a performance, particularly a live performance, whether it's someone playing some music or someone talking up on a stage, it really is absurd. I often get this image of sort of the like the the beehive. It's like we're in a giant beehive and there's this ant or this tiny little bee or the, or the ant hive. could be ants or bees. We're sort, of, we're sort of both, aren't we, humans? And 
I just imagine like what what would we what would we think if we just sort of opened up the ant farm and there was f- like 500 ants all gathered close together and they're all facing this one little ant or this just these few little ants and this tiny little sound was coming out of that ant and these tiny little sounds were coming out coming out and then all of a sudden they would pause and then everyone would laugh and you think, oh my goodness, this ant is doing stand-up comedy. What is happening? This is so strange. I wonder what on earth that ant could be saying. And it's possible to get that feeling while you're actually at the comedy show. You can sense the, the, the zooming out of what on earth is going on while you're there all you have to do is inquire into what is happening what's going what exactly is going on and it means listening beyond the words of course and it means also just coming up with more answers than just the initial answers of well oh well we paid money and they're entertaining so that's how economy works that's sort of an abc answer and there are lots of answers like that but experientially what does it mean to have a performer with an audience looking on. Because it's a paradox. You can resolve that in the exact same way you can resolve all these other paradoxes we've been talking about. And in some ways it's happening right here between you and me. I mean, it's not an audience. It's not a crowd that I'm listening to. It's just you. It's one-on-one. And in some ways I'm talking to you. In some ways I'm not talking to you. In some ways I'm talking to myself. So what's happening now is not exactly the same as performer and audience member in the sense of someone up on stage. No, what we've got here is very different. <laughs> and actually, there, there are many ways in it's very different. Because I feel that you're still an active member of what's happening here. But that's a, another example of how these paradoxes can divulge into many aspects of life and actually well my next my next paradox is speaker and listener and i've got a note here about a funny story of krishnamurti and i'm sure i've told this story before but i'll remind it to you again where krishnamurti is well he's up on stage and he's talking and he's got a crowd in front of him And there's this funny moment where he's trying to explain the very thing that I've just been explaining to you. It's like, it's that there is a active participation between the speaker and the listener. And Krishnamurti is saying his thing of, oh, this is a conversation. This is a happening, an occurrence between us. And then someone in the audience stands up and puts their hands up and they say, oh, I've got a question about this. And he, he, there's sort of this awkward moment where he says, no, 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 you, you're not getting it. It's not that kind of conversation. <laughs> it's not a back and forth conversation. You can ask your questions later. Ask your questions later. I'm talking now. And I've, I found that funny. I found that so funny because <laughs> it just showed how much of a different understanding Krishnamurti was trying to convey to how actually, well, his audience was taking it. <laughs> Because Krishnamurti, he was trying to point out the paradox of speaker and listener. And the person in the audience was thinking, oh, 
It's a conversation, so we should have back and forth, so I should ask a question. Okay, next paradox. Ignorance and understanding. We sort of covered that earlier when we were talking about knowledge. Satisfaction and gratitude. could say that satisfaction and dissatisfaction is the paradox. But satisfaction and gratitude, well, that's different, isn't it? Maybe that's a three-way paradox. Satisfaction, dissatisfaction, and gratitude. Confidence and inferiority complex. Are you feeling confident? Are you feeling inferior? Do you know when you feel inferior? Do you know what makes you feel inferior? Do you know what makes you feel confident? Addiction and abstinence. Relevance and irrelevance. mundane and the profound or the shallow and the profound building and collapsing divine and worldly sacred and profane so it's profane and profound that's, that's sort of some of the fundamental concepts that we talk about so often here, isn't it? The sacred and the profound and the divine and the worldly and the mundane and the profound or the shallow and the profound, well, they're all, they're all sort of got this flavor to them. They've got this flavor of something more meaningful, something more juicy, the juice of life. Wouldn't we want things to be more sacred, things to be more divine, things to be more profound? How do we get those things? How do we become more profound? And then there's this funny point, there's this funny moment where the profound becomes cheesy. It becomes, oh, oh, we can make fun of him so easy. Oh, he's, he's just talking about the universe. Oh, he's talking about oneness. Yes, everything is oneness. It becomes very easy to make fun of it. Because it has a collapse in meaning. It goes full circle. And then it becomes profane. <laughs> and then you can make jokes. And then, well, you've got the other side of the paradox. So the trick is, how do you have both? How do you have, balance both? Because you wouldn't want to have a life without the profane. And you wouldn't want to have a life without the divine. I think for so many people, what's missing in their life is to remember a sense of the divine. And of course, in this modern age, that means something different to what it meant in the past. What it meant in the past was religious beliefs. What it meant was traditional religious values and dogma and doctrines. But now the divine means something different. 
Now we're taking back the meaning of the word divine. We're taking back the meaning of the word sacred. Okay, next few paradoxes. Gay and straight. Could probably lump that one in with the sexuality and gender collection of paradoxes. Motivation and deflation, or motivation and stagnation. Effort and submission. Have you ever wondered what the opposite of effort is? And if we rule out stagnation, what would you say it is? The opposite of effort. Now for my next paradox, I've got will and submission. So effort and submission and will and submission. That can be a three-pronged paradox. Have you got a sense of will? The sense of, I can do it. Yes, I must do it. The clenching of the fist and the frowning of the eyebrows and the determination, the sense of determination. Where does determination fit into this paradox? And really, the most way, the most effective way to be Having your effort go the furthest is to submit. It's to submit to what is driving you and to stop resisting what is driving you. Because effort, in so many ways, can be manifesting itself as this idea that is arresting you. Like, oh, I need to do this, or I need success, or this is how I get success by working hard or by doing this or by building these things, or going after these things, or acting in this certain way. And that's really just an idea which you've picked up from somewhere, which is being impressed onto your behaviors. And that's creating a whole lot of effort, which is actually ineffective effort. And that's why a genuine submission to your motivation and your desires can lead you to more effective actions. And it makes you more productive than the shallow sense of the, the sense of will, the sense of determination. So what I'm advocating here is a more mature understanding of will, a more clear understanding of motivation, a more complex understanding of effort, and to understand these things, you need to resolve the paradoxes. So always be asking, what's the opposite of this? And could there be multiple opposites? Next paradox, faith and doubt. Trust and mistrust. Belief and value. War and peace. Violence 
and peace. Following and leading. Micro and macro. Energized and tired. It's similar to being motivated. We often say we're motivated and use that phrase motivation or word motivation interchangeably with being energized. And if we say we've got deflation or we're stagnating, then, well, it might just be that we're tired. Hypo and mellow. You know, the difference between being hyperactive and being mellow. And mellow is, it implies something different to relaxing or stagnation or peacefulness. It's quite funny that we have this word mellow, a chilled out dude, as we could say. And we can contrast that with the person who's hypo, like, oh, I'm always so excited. I'm always jumping around. I've always got so much energy. And sometimes the person that has a lot of energy gets nothing done because they're so hypo. They haven't got the sense of direction. (laughs) They've got a lot that they travel a lot, but they don't get anywhere. They go around in circles, in a sense. Happy and sad. Excited and bored. Wants and needs. Connection and isolation. Ooh, that's a tricky one. Connection and aloneness. Connection and isolation. You can probably add to that intimacy and loneliness. Ooh, that's a sensitive subject for Doster at the moment. don't know how much I care to sh- share or say about isolation and connection. It's been a big one, I think, for everyone this year. But it's to be understood that it's a paradox. You can't have one without the other. You need to understand the extremes. You need to go into your experiences. Fraction and totality. Complete and incomplete. Actualizing and realizing. That's a funny one because we say we are actualizing our dreams when we're working on them. And we have realized our dreams when we have done them. Or we've accomplished them or we've completed them. But in another sense, actualizing is, well, it's the action-based part of our psychology and the realizing is the being side of our psychology. So actualizing is to do with productivity, to do with work, to do with dedication, with action, with your sense of getting on with it. And realizing is to do with insight, with epiphanies, with communing with the divine, 
with seeing things in a new light, with paradigm shifts, perspectives, new lessons, self-knowledge, new understandings, personal experiences, personal wealth or inner wealth. The wealth is that, on, that is on the inside. And in a sense, you can't have both without either of them. You can't have either of these without the other. You can't have actualizing without realizing. And you can draw the line anywhere because if you're, if you're realizing an insight, well, in a funny sense, you are doing something. You are making something happen. Even though it feels like it's coming to you from somewhere else. Abstract and tangible. Alert and dull. That's similar to sharp and gluggy. Attentive and distracted. Aware and unaware. Sensitive and insensitive or obtuse. Now, sensitivity, you can... You can apply that word to social situations like, oh, you're so insensitive, how could you say that? As in you've said something without considering how someone else might feel when you say it. But then there's also sensitive in the experiential sense of your senses, or you've got a high degree of sensitivity. You can really see sharp out your eyes. You can really taste the the flavor of a room. You're very susceptible to the changes in your conditions and you can be sensitive also socially and those two things sort of come together because you can be sensitive to someone's feelings by well you sense them you're in the room and you feel how they feel and when you say oh you were very sensitive to have said that it means that you have said something that resonated with how someone else was feeling Okay, the next few go together. Addition and subtraction. Multiplication and division. Maths and poetry. What's the opposite of subtraction? Well, it's addition. What's the opposite of division? Well, it's multiplication. What's the opposite of maths? Well, it's poetry. And they go together. All these things go together. They're paradoxical. And there is a place where maths becomes poetry. There is a place where you can imagine. Imagine the, the, the genius math pr- professor. And he's written out this big equation. And it's got all these n- different shapes and numbers to it. And fractions and brackets. And it's on the whiteboard. And it's, it's this huge thing. And his students are always coming to try and understand and he's always trying to resolve it and there's these there's this air there's an air of magic to maths there's an air of magic to maths at certain levels at certain amounts of with certain amounts of appreciation you can see the poetry in maths and then on the other side it's the same in poetry so poetry can become mathematical like we have forms in poetry 
You say you need this certain amount of syllables, you need this certain amount of lines, if it's a limerick or a whatever. I don't know many forms of poetry. My poetry is always free verse. <laughs> My poetry is always just say what I feel sort of thing. I've never ad adhered to a structure with my poetry. But it's mathematical. It can be calculated. Poetry can become an ABC formula, which is how it's constructed in some ways. And understanding those two, well, that's the trick of resolving the paradox. Danger and safety. Security and risk. Mediocre and ambitious. Ordinary and extraordinary. Funny and offensive, or humour and tragedy. Aggressive and defensive. Careful and reckless. Variety and blandness. Tangible and ghostly. Or tangible might be a good opposite for our elusive and clarity paradox. Well done and poorly done. If you want to demonstrate that you've done a good job, first explain how the job was done badly and then explain how you've done it and how it was good. Dependent and independent. Desperate and content. Dying and blooming. Death and birth. Growing and rotting. Blossoming and decaying. Fresh and stale. And what exactly is mold growing? When something has mold growing on it, is it growing or is it dying? You can say that's a part of the rotting process. It's funny that even within the rotting process, there is something that grows, which is mold in certain biological processes. Searching and finding. 
questions and answers. Loss and gain. Buying and selling. Chemicals and consciousness. Or we could say biosphere or phys- physiosphere and biosphere and theosphere. Matter and spirit. So that would be another way of putting chemicals and consciousness or biosphere and theosphere. Fire and water. What is the opposite to fire? Is it water? What is the opposite to earth? Is it air? And what is the opposite to ice? Is it gas? Or oxygen? I don't know. I don't know enough about chemistry. I guess the chemistry table... Like the periodic table or the elements table, we could look at that in the same way that we looked at the color wheel to work out opposites. And we also looked at sound. And there was another one that we looked at, but I've forgotten it. But the periodic table, if we look at paradoxes on a, we can look at paradoxes within chemistry and also as chemistry as one thing and outside of itself and if you can get your head around that you start to see how there are paradoxes within paradoxes edge and center relativity and absolutism jump and land so i have the image of jumping out of a plane with a parachute and landing with a parachute It's also just jumping up and down on the spot. What goes up must come down. Compete and cooperate. Catch and release. Acceptance and rejection. Narrowing and widening. Parody and the original. Isn't it funny that we always want to see the original? There's something in a classic. No one wants to see a fake. No one wants to see a a copy of a classic. We all want the real thing. Sporadic and consistent. Regularly and irregularly. Bumpy and smooth. The fork in the path and the straight line of the highway. The red pill and the blue pill. 
And this just, ba- just about brings us back to the left hand and the right hand. And the red, pull, the red pill and the blue pill is a fork in the path. And of course, there is the larger meaning of red pill, blue pill culture, which is the coming into knowledge and questing for truth. And that's just a paradox. That is a conflict within us that needs to be resolved. And the thing that is drawing us to the red pill, blue pill culture is that, well, it's a paradox that resonates. And it's a paradox, it's a, it's a metaphor, like the blue pill and the red pill is a metaphor for all paradoxes. It's a dichotomy. It's you, you have to have one without the other, and you have to choose. And the reason that's so dramatic, the reason it's such a dramatic moment to have the two hands, and there's, in one hand you've got the red pill, and the other hand you've got the blue pill, and you, you can only choose one that you're forced out of and and what you really want is what you really want is why can't I take both I'll try this and then I'll try that and then I'll make a decision but no the reason that's so dramatic is because you can't resolve the paradox and there's no easy way out of it you do have to make the choice and once you've made the choice you have to stick with it And now we come to the last paradox on my list. It's over 200 paradoxes that we've been through so far. And this is a very fundamental paradox. And it's one that actually has some active meditations designed around it, which I've been lucky enough to participate in. And these active meditations were invented by Osho. And the paradox is yes and no. And by choosing one of those and making one of those your mantra, you can resolve all conflicts within you. And being by being really clear about what he means yes and what is yes and how you feel about yes, and when you say yes, and all the same thing again too for no. When do you say no? Can you say no? Is your no a really strong no? Well, then you can resolve so much tension within you. You can resolve so much of the disharmony in your being. And Osho's active meditation, called yes-no meditation, puts you in touch with that. You literally go around, you say no, 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 over and over again. And you notice how you feel. You notice what's happening in your body. And if you're doing this in a group, you're actually saying it to people. You're practicing saying no, no, no. And then you go into that very deep and it becomes an experience that you can work with. And then you do the other side. You do the yes. How do you feel to say yes? What happens when you say yes? 
What is your facial expression like when you say yes? What is your tone of voice like when you say yes? What sort of memories come up when you say yes? When in your life have you said yes? There's a lot in these. There's a lot of depth to them. And we've been through this list of over 200 paradoxes and it can be hard to know where to start. Well, which one am I going to work on? Which one am I going to work with? Which one am I going to resolve? Which one is the, just give me the grand key to all the paradoxes. Well, there are many of them. You can work with many of these. And they all work because they're all paradoxical. But the good place to start, a good place to start, is with yes and no. And sometimes we're saying no without even saying the words no. It's just the attitude. We have the attitude of no. It's deflection or non-participation. It's passive or it's non-interest or it's just uh, it's just boredom. And these can all be derivatives of no. So ask yourself, are you saying yes or no with your behaviors, with your interactions, with what you think? with what you're doing in different situations. And if you ever get the chance to participate in the Osho active meditation of yes-no meditation, well, go ahead and do it and you'll really have a good time. It will really demonstrate clearly what it means to form a deeper relationship experientially with the paradox of yes and no. So then, as promised, some 4D paradoxes. So a four-dimension paradoxes, a four-dimension paradox is four things that can't be without each other and yet are also defined by each other and known by their contrasts. And some of these we have actually created as we've gone along and some of them are three-part paradoxes. And I think there's been at least a couple of four-part paradoxes that we've talked about. So let's make them clear now. 4D paradox number one. Night and day, lightness and darkness. So within night, you have darkness and light. Because you have the moon. You also have other lights, other sources of light. And in day, during day, well, there is also darkness. There is light and dark. So there's a spectrum of light and dark in both night and day, in the sun and the moon or the absence of the moon. So the night has both lightness and darkness, and the day has both lightness and darkness. 4D paradox number two, conquering and submitting with creating and destroying. Do you create something when you conquer? In a sense, yes, because you create a new power structure. And at the same time, you create something by submitting because you acknowledge a power structure. 
You also destroy something because, well, the power structure has shifted. And creating something is, well, that's the greatest power. Creativity is the the act of all power. It's really the only power, is creativity. And when we talk about power in the normal sense, we think of people putting their will on someone else or a person putting their will on a people's for their own personal instrumental gain. And that's, an, that's a creation of a power structure. But it's not the true power. It's not the real power. The real power is to create something within yourself, for yourself, by yourself. So a corruption, well, corruption and power go hand in hand. And conquering, well, that's what, that's what the root of all corruption is. When you're conquering something, you're corrupted to the structure that was previously there of how things were balanced. You're outdoing the balance. You're outdoing the structure of how things are. You're corrupting how things are. You're roiling the waters. So conquering and submitting, creating and destroying. That's a tricky one. It's, a, it's got a lot of avenues that open up to it. All right, what about this one? Real and fake, valuable and worthless. We spoke about that previously. Briefly, previously. Complexity and simplicity with fullness and emptiness. You notice that when things become more and more complex, there seems to be a sense of moreness in some regards. More complex. More things happening. More going on. More expansive mind. More expansive experience. And that's fullness. That's the urge towards fullness, moreness in complexity. But then in another sense, the complexity can be overwhelming. The complexity can be a burden. You become, it can become chaotic. It's too much. And that's why it's balanced out with simplicity. And you can become very full by having things simple. You can become very satisfied, in the sense of the word fullness, by simplicity. And conversely, well, your emptiness can occur in a very shallow sense of, like the negative sense of the word emptiness, like, oh, everything feels empty, empty and meaningless, in the complexity. Because you become so complex with what you've created. It's like, oh, there's more and more of it and there's just so much. And really, it's, it's really just all the same thing over again. It's just emptiness. It could be that you feel that way about your business or your work. It's becoming more and more complex, but it's got so much emptiness to it. And you're seeing more and more how the complexity doesn't lead to fullness. 
Okay, what about this one? Questioning and answering, searching and finding. You can't ask a question without searching. And for every question, there is an answer. There are multiple answers. (laughs) That's the trick. Which answer is the right answer? And yet if you only search, well, that can become a place of not, it can actually turn into a stagnation if you search too much. Because you do actually have to arrive and accept an answer. You do have to take on the answer. You do have to recognize when you have found the correct answer. You need that skill. The question or the skill of asking questions leads to the skill of answering questions. You can't find unless you know how to search. And you can't really keep on searching. There's a limit to your searching if you don't eventually learn how to find. Okay, what about this one? Vibration, stillness, order, and chaos. So similar to the symph- the thing that divides all of these is the symphony or the harmony of things working together. So stillness, you can have stillness with sound. With sound still happening. Structurally, things can be still simply by having a repetition over and over again. Simply by having a repetition over and over again. Simply by having a repetition over and over again. Simply by having a repetition over and over again. Simply by having a repetition over and over again. So the vibration is something happening over and over again. And stillness is the repetition of a vibration or the absence of a vibration. It's both of those things. And order and chaos are, well, order is how much stillness there is or how much repetition there is. And chaos is how much vibration there is or how much change there is. And when you have too much order, when when you say the same thing over and over again, it becomes a bit of, of, of a disorder. So when I say the same thing over and over, it's at first, well, a little bit unsettling. And that whole that whole thing of creating a settled feeling or an unsettled feeling and balancing the two is the art of the symphony. It's the art of music. And you do it by, well, balancing these four things, order and chaos, vibration and stillness, or sound and silence. And now we come to the last one. So this is the final 4D paradox and the final paradox of all of these paradoxes. And we mentioned it earlier, but we'll put all four together, which is 
representation of reality and reality itself with something and nothing. And you see that the representation of reality is still contrasted with nothingness in exactly the same proportion that reality itself is contrasted to nothingness. So when you have representation of reality and reality, they still both occur within reality. And that occurrence is contrasted to nothingness. Something and nothing. And if you can resolve that 4D paradox, then you have the entire existence sorted in a metaphysical, theoretical sense. <laughs> Maybe it should be an equation. Maybe we should create a maths equation. Representation of reality and reality itself with something and nothing. <laughs> I could say that, well, there are no representations of reality because they are reality. But that would be a bit too much of a mind bender for me to really carry on like that for too long. So I won't go there. <laughs> let's not go there. Let's not turn this into let's not turn this into metaphysical stand up comedy. As much as I as much as I like the idea. <laughs> as much as I like the idea. Uh, so that's paradoxes. It's a big one. There's a lot to it. And essentially, you can play with these and you can find your own paradox by saying, with anything, anything has a paradox to it. By simply saying two things. One, what is the opposite of that thing? And two, what is the thing that they both have in common? And if you can see that, well, then you can resolve the paradox. And if you can use paradox as a, as a device within you for anything that you're thinking about, anything that you're feeling, anything that you're doing, anything that's happening in your life, then you can work towards harmony. You can grow towards harmony. You can integrate the different parts of you. And that is really something worthwhile. It's something that we're all here to do. It's something that we're all working on. And it's great that I've been able to share these words with you and to hear myself say these words. It helps me too to think about these things and to talk them through. And I have talked about paradoxes a lot in the past. And it's a deep topic, so that's why I wanted to take my time and really delve into it here with these examples. So... Thank you very much for listening. And this time it really is all that I have to say, at least on this subject, at least for now. And it will come up again in different ways. And I will have very much more to say very soon. So thanks very much. I hope you're having a beautiful day. And I hope you're staying safe, staying well, taking care of yourself. 
I'm sending you lots of warm feelings. And thank you very much again. Thank you, thank you. And I'll just sit quietly for a few minutes. And you can join me if you wish. I encourage you to sit quietly after you've listened to these. Or at least some point in your day, at some point. Have you, have you sat quietly yet today? Have you done that yet today? If you haven't, just take a moment now. There's no, no better time like now than to just sit quietly with your eyes closed and just let your insides bubble for a bit. And that's all I have to say for now.